welcome into the show. It is Daniel Ortman coming to you live from the Dream Imaginate Sports Studios. 8 a.m. on the East Coast, 5 a.m. out west. Hope you had a great weekend. It is Monday, October the 21st. A lot of stuff happening this weekend in the world of football, soccer. Not the kind that looks like an egg, but the actual game of football, the one that requires your feet for most of the play. That football, the football we talk on this show, there was a lot going on this uh, weekend. Some uh, really bad and crazy scenes uh, between Mexico, Argentina, just some unfortunate uh, scenes there. And... um, and then, you know, over in Europe, you had some uh, some notable matches. First time uh, that Messi, Suarez, and Griezmann uh, all score in the same match. They won 3-0 away to Ibar. And uh, yesterday, the big match of the weekend in the Premier League. Liverpool uh, probably feeling a little hard done by between... Uh, just things not quite going their way and also some uh, referee decisions end up leaving Old Trafford with a 1-1 draw. Um, definitely going to be definitely going to be going back to um, to training this week frustrated that they didn't get all three points uh, at Old Trafford. Manchester United is a shell of of what it once was. Um, It's just really... um, It's not in a good spot. And and, and you already knew that looking at Manchester United uh, even before the match yesterday. But, um, you know, everything that they were able to do was, was really... Um, against the run of play, the goal even, I th- you know, I think should have been disallowed. Um, uh, it came off of a foul that wasn't called, and then VAR decided not only to not call it back due to the foul. Later in the match, when a Liverpool player uh, fouls a Manchester United player, and excuse me, it wasn't even a foul. Um, they won the ball, but a Manchester United player goes down. Wasn't a foul in Liverpool. Liverpool's going to break, and the referee blows it dead, goes to check on the Manchester United player. It was, it was just that kind of day. Uh, Liverpool were struggling uh, to, to, to keep rhythm, and the referee certainly wasn't making decisions in their favor um, either. And then, you know, I, I felt like, and I don't, know that a lot of people talked about this, but I didn't feel like uh, Jurgen Klopp made the best of decisions in terms of setting the team up yesterday. It was clear once Keita came on that he was needed much earlier in the game, if not from the beginning. Um, Jordan Henderson is just not made for a match like that. Uh when you have a team like Manchester United that is certainly at this point not capable of just 
playing a possession style of football against Liverpool, they're they're definitely just going to try to counterattack really quickly, sit deep, not even really try to quote unquote play. Well, that does not play into Jordan Henderson's game. He is he is not a player that um you know can can really be a productive member of of the team on the field in breaking another team down. Uh, when you have possession, when you're able to kind of sit in the final third or in the offensive half of the field, um, it is it is certainly not the strength of his game. Um, and and you could see it yesterday. He kind of kept floating out wide to the right. Trent never quite got in rhythm with Jordan over there. It just felt like that whole side of the field was out of sync. Um, and... You needed a player to kind of pop into the midfield um, centrally um, instead of going out wide, but playing more in central and being able to connect and start to probe. And uh, I thought Keita, when he came in, really changed the game. Obviously, uh, they were down 1-0, and and they ended up coming back to get a 1-1 draw. But, um, you know... Lalana helped with that uh, f- from that standpoint. Lalana just doesn't have the the athleticism and the and the uh, um, the physicality, the speed to to play a up and down game at this point of his career. But when it's a game where you're going to be able to kind of sit uh, on top of a of an opponent and hold possession. Lalana is somebody that can really help you in those moments. Uh, and Kate has got that quality as well. I felt like Oxlade Chamberlain was a big help in that as well. Those three substitutions is where Klopp, I think, made some really good choices. I just felt like uh, Henderson was on uh, for far too long yesterday. Um, just wasn't the type of game that he excels in. And and I get wanting to start him. Maybe you feel like in the beginning, uh, Manchester United is going to come at you, and, and you need somebody out there that's going to kind of break up play and help Fabinho if he needs to drop in, etc. Fine, um, but uh, I didn't feel like uh, as the game continued, I didn't feel like it was the game for him. So um, you know, look, it is it is what it is. They come out with a one one draw, still top of the league, but they drop a couple points over the weekend. As Manchester City wins two nil away to Crystal Palace. Now an eight point lead becomes a six point lead, and um, that match uh, coming up. At Anfield in a few weeks, it's going to be really big. Um, it's one of those they call a six-point match because uh, if one team wins, uh, it's gonna it's gonna make a big difference. Um, if it's a draw, that's one thing. But if one one of these teams is able to win, if Liverpool wins by that point, they may have an opportunity to be up nine. If Man City wins, they could cut that thing down to three, and depending on results in between. Uh, could be even less. So, um, real big match coming up in a few weeks, and and we should uh, we should keep our eyes on that as well. Major League Soccer uh, began playoffs this weekend, and um, you know it is what it is in that regard. Um, 
with with the playoffs. I mean, anyone that's espousing that this is the way to go um, in terms of a league, a top league, uh, that the top league for American soccer. Um, go look at the television ratings. Go look at where the sport is. It's trying to play its playoffs in the middle of uh, college football and NFL season. These are traditionally the two. Th- this is the time of the year where you have these two different levels of American football being played on the weekend that dominates television, dominates ratings dominates everything and you're going to try to play your playoffs during that window this doesn't make a lot of sense go to the spring april may not near as much competition but um when you when you look at the fall especially right now it's it's just really absurd um to think that you're going to draw an audience they've tried to tweak playoff uh setups and try to make things shorter make things more attractive not not really working um it's just a bad time of year this whole spring to fall is a bad idea. The playoff format in and of itself isn't, isn't a great idea either. Uh, we've talked about an open system and the need for it uh, so many times uh, on the show. Uh, coming up after the break, we are going to be getting into uh, an article, a column that came out yesterday by Mark Ziegler. The only fix for U.S. soccer is a complete rebu- reboot. This uh, article from the San Diego Tribune. Uh, looking forward to digging into this article after the break but first our sponsor this half hour is Ducktick Brand D-U-K-T-I-G Brand.com if you have not gone and checked out their website and their products uh, I don't know what you're waiting on you should go do it today D-U-K-T-I-G Brand.com and use the promo code DW Show to get 10% off of your next order at ducticbrand.com we'll be right back after this
morning and welcome back to the show. Thanks for tuning in on this Monday morning, October the 21st. Want to get into this article and, and we are uh, going to work to try to get Mark Ziegler on the show uh, to talk about this later this week uh, hopefully we can uh, get our schedules lined up where we can get him on uh, he put out a column yesterday that uh, is just fantastic reading uh, for anyone interested in in fixing the game here in the US making it better uh, and, and one thing before I, I get into this uh, article that this column that he posted yesterday with the San Diego Tribune in anyone who who or or at least I'm speaking for myself and I know uh, many others that are wanting things to change and and wanting things to get better and call for certain changes to be made it's it's for the betterment of the sport it's it's to make things better for everybody I think it's it's important to remember that this isn't about attacking people individually uh, i know that people in the past they've made certain choices and they've done things that make you scratch your head things that frustrate you things that certainly disappoint you they they've disappointed me they frustrated me uh, i i lived it i went through the election the presidential election uh, in 2018 we had like 400 million candidates i'm kidding but it felt like 400 million candidates and um you know i was i was running Eric Winalda's campaign for president of U.S. soccer. I, I met with these people. I talked with all these different people. Um, and a lot of these people meant really well. They wanted to see things change and improve and get better. Uh, I, I think if, you know, if we could go back and do some things over again, I, I think some, you know, we would need to make some, some changes on, on that approach that we took back in 2018 for certain. But one of the things that I don't doubt is that a lot of those people really wanted to fix some things, whether they had a full picture of what it was to fix, uh, you know, that, that remains to be seen. But I do think in general, a lot of people meant well during that election season. And, uh, uh, it was unfortunate that we were unable to um, change the leadership at the top, and we're we're still paying for it. If you look at what has happened since the 2018 election, we're coming up on almost two years since that day. There is no uh, publicly published uh, bidding or procurement policy. There's there's um, no board initiated from Carlos Cordero. One of the things he talked about was improving transparency. Not seeing any of that in the in the almost two years of his reign. A lot of the things that 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 he went around to the athlete council and others talking about has not really has not shown. Um, and so when you when you look at okay. We can't go change the past, but we can go and look and see what's happened since then. And when you're coming up on a vice presidential election here in a few months uh, for a four-year term, and you look at another presidential election in 2022, it's important to do a review. And, and looking at the, the state of the federation, it's not a good place from uh, campaign promises as were made by Carlos Cordero, as well as 
progress of the Federation. We've got more and more lawsuits uh, since Carlos Cordero took over. Um, and, you know, we've got poor results uh, for the men's national team that have continued. Uh, our women's team continues to be the anomaly. Uh, I do think the world is catching up. But we we do we do have a good head start, and we have a stable of uh, of, a, of a squad that is deep and um, is the envy of the world, and that strength has uh, definitely helped us this past summer. On the women's side, on the men's side, for as strong as we are with the women, we are as weak, and it is an issue. Which leads us to this column by Mark Ziegler. He says the only fix for U.S. soccer is a complete reboot. The latest humiliation is a 2-0 loss at Canada, but it's the pattern of incompetence that's so alarming. The Ulysses Narden Marine Chronograph UN-150 is a luxury watch by a Swiss manufacturer from a tiny town in the canton of Nucatel. And I probably butchered a lot of those words, so uh, sorry for that. It has Arabic numerals, sapphire crystals, 322 components, a thermally stabilized um, silicium core, and an enamel dial specially kiln-fired at 900 degrees Celsius in Don's Cadron's workshops. It cost about $12,000. So, he did a great job, and I'm I, Mark, I apologize in advance. I just butchered a bunch of this so eloquently written opening to your, to your column. Um, but... The point is that it was a really expensive watch, okay, $12,000 watch. And it's this watch that led to the resignation of Reinhard Grindel as president of Germany's Soccer Federation last April. This is what we need in U.S. soccer. Grindel received a watch later identified as a blue Ulysses Narden Marine Chronograph is a birthday gift from a Ukrainian oligarch who also happened to be vice president of the sport's highly politicized European governing body. The ensuing conflict of interest served as a convenient excuse to end Grindel's unpopular three-year tenure that included the home before the postcard's exit from the 2018 World Cup by the defending champions. We need a Ulysses Narden we need a Ukrainian oligarch. We need a scandal. We need something. Because nothing else has, prov- has provoked change in American soccer as it spirals deeper toward irrelevance and irreverence. Losses haven't. Lawsuits haven't. A New York Times story outlining a toxic work environment at the Federation Chicago headquarters hasn't. The latest humiliation was a 2-0 loss Tuesday at Canada by the men's national team. It's first since 1985 against one of the few countries that might care even less about the sport. Even Michael Bradley, who somehow keeps popping up on rosters and whose clumsy turnover in midfield, again, led to one of the goals, wasn't born then. The good news, it wasn't 4-0. 
It came almost two years to the day since the 2-1 loss against a Caribbean island nation with 328.5 million fewer people that kept the Yanks out of the World Cup for the first time since 1986 and was supposed to be be a transformational moment of salvation. Instead, the Federation elected former Vice President Carlos Cordero to operate a puppet regime for Major League Soccer and spent a year, a year, hiring a a new men's national coach who happens to be the brother of the Federation executive expected to become its next CEO. Blame Greg Berhalter, the coach, if you must, or Jay Berhalter, the executive. But blame us more than anything. The problem is simple. We're a soccer-playing nation, not a soccer nation. There's a difference. We play the game every weekend on every patch of grass or artificial turf in America to the cacophony of parents screaming from their lawn chairs to boot it. But we don't live the game. We don't breathe it, digest it, feel it, think it, love it. We don't consume it and let it consume us. Grandma doesn't scream referee or worse at the TV. Soccer practice is like piano lessons, Tuesdays and Thursday, 4 to 5.30. Then we close the piano cover and go home, and the music stops. Earlier this month, I wrote about Miguel Berry, the star forward at the University of San Diego, and how he grew up in Barcelona before moving to Poway. How at age six, his coach once instructed the team to pass only side to side, never forward, to teach the value of possession and playing out of the back. How they lost 14-0. How it would never happen in the States because the parents would go crazy. Now we have a national coach trying to play out of the bat with chess pieces ill-suited for the sophisticated strategy, soulless robots turned out by a youth system that is predicated on winning U9 state cups and ignores immigrant communities imbibed with a true soccer culture. And we have the Federation execs who hired him facing no consequences from a mainstream public that doesn't care enough, doesn't hitch its emotional welfare to the beautiful game enough to demand their immediate removal. Outside of a few snarky tweets or angry web posts, there's no mass outrage, no moral indignation, no bricks tossed through windows at Federation headquarters, no mob of minicams staking out the president as he walks to his car and asking when, not if, he'll resign. Instead, they blunder on. General Manager Ernie Stewart, hired with the primary job of hiring a national coach, was promoted over the summer to the Federation Sporting Director overseeing all men's and women's programs. Jay Berhalter is the favorite to be promoted to replace retiring CEO Dan Flynn. A few weeks ago, Mexico's Federation hired former San Diego soccer's great Hugo Perez as a scout to run evaluation camps on the side of the border, on this side of the border, and recruit promising youth players with dual citizenship. That's the same Perez who is from El Salvador and has deep ties to the Hispanic community. Hispanic soccer community, who is a former U.S. youth national coach, who was instrumental in the identification and development of players like Tyler Adams, Weston McKinney, and Christian Pulisic, who is fired. This is the federation 
where for the last few years, the webpage for its diversity task force had a title and was otherwise blank. Now it links to one that says, Red Card, this page is out of the game. This is the federation that unilaterally split its oldest development academy boys teams into top and lower tiers, and Crossfire Premier from the Seattle area was put in the latter, despite winning its division two straight years and regularly beating up on the academy teams of MLS clubs. Oh, and all the MLS teams, even badly underperforming ones, were placed in the top tier. This is the federation that oversees a youth empire rapidly bleeding players. A recent study by the respected Aspen Institute estimated that soccer has lost 474,000 kids between ages 6 and 12 over the past five years. It also found that the average they quit soccer is 9.1 years. Among the 21 sports surveyed, only gymnastics was younger at 8.7. Another study found that households with 100000 plus in annual income account for 35% of youth soccer participants in its pay-to-play culture, and only 11% come from the poorest demographic. Numbers echoing Hope Solo's claim that in this country, it's a rich, white kid sport. Meanwhile, Federation attorneys are fending off federal lawsuits that are diverting attention and resources from its fundamental mission to grow the game. Its beloved women's national team is suing for equal pay. The U.S. Soccer Foundation, the sport's major charitable arm, created by a former Federation president from 1994 World Cup revenues, is suing over a logo flap. There are two antitrust suits, one by a second division league the Federation drove out of business to protect MLS, and another by a promoter blocked from staging foreign league games in the States. Sensing a pattern here? It's been going on for years, for decades, unchecked. The solution isn't another coat of paint, as Cordero tried to apply when MLS uses its clout to get him elected in 2018 as a palatable replacement for longtime president Sunil Gulati, who once worked for MLS, and this is not in the article, as the same time he is president of U.S. Soccer, he is on the payroll of Major League Soccer. But anyway, I digress. This isn't new carpet or blinds. This is a demo job, a complete scrape, a reboot. We need a new federation president not beholden to MLS, a new management team that its employees don't hate, a new national coach who doesn't try to play out of the back, a new inclusive youth development system that doesn't burn out players at age nine or bankrupt their parents, a new everything. We need a Ulysses Narded Marine Chronograph UN-150 and a Ukrainian oligarch. We need a red card. Now, there's a great column by Mark Ziegler, and we uh, we're we are efforting to try to get him on this week to uh, to get into that and some of his thoughts. The real problem, and and I see this a lot, um, and and I used to have this 
this this desire as well to to burn everything down and uh it certainly would be the best way to fix all of this is to is to literally go back to year zero and start over there's no doubt that that would be the best way to right the ship and i don't disagree with that at all however having gone through the election of 2018 and really getting to see behind the scenes and see the inner workings of the Federation, learning about CONCACAF from another perspective as well as from uh, about FIFA. I've come to a place where I do think we need a reboot. I do think we need a major leadership overhaul but the practicality of launching a new federation to basically a, to launch a competing federation, I'm not going to say is impossible because nothing is impossible, but it is, it is the least likely way to change things. There are some, there are some things and we're going to get into for the rest of the show today. Um, that, that can be done to change things. It's going to take time. It's going to take money. It's going to take commitment and effort. But we can get there. We can change things. But one of the points that Mark pointed out is that we don't have a true soccer culture. We don't have enough people outraged to create mass reform even if we wanted a new federation I don't think it would succeed because we haven't fixed the things that have to come first and this is where we miss it when you're developing a player that player is not being developed by showing up to a soccer club for the first time at six, seven, or eight years old. The best players that have ever played this game came from a culture that had more to do with what was going on at home than has ever taken place in a youth soccer practice. Tom Beyer talks about this all the time, that culture eats strategy for breakfast. And he talks about the need and importance of countries to value parent education at two to six, to create a culture, a footballing culture at home. That is where we've got to look first. The culture. We've got to get those who bleed the game, who love the game, who are, who are as passionate about the game as you are, as I am. We've got to get more of us in our communities. It's easy to get on Twitter and opine. It's easy to, to get on other social media platforms and complain or make fun of, go on tirades and rants. Sometimes they can be very helpful. They can be great educational threads. They can be really good blog posts that educate. And those things are great. 
But we also have to take action. We have to do things. And yes, doing that on social media is doing a thing. But I'm talking about going beyond digital, beyond just the platform, to having conversations with people in your community, volunteering your time in your community. That might mean running for for president of your club. It might be volunteering to be on the board of your local club. It might be running for office at your state association or in some other soccer organization. But we need those who really want change to get involved. If you're unaware of how things work in this federation, Clubs, independent clubs, individual clubs, these thousands and thousands of clubs do not have a voice in U.S. soccer. When it comes to voting, when it comes to changing rules or electing people, clubs don't have a voice at the federation level. Where they do have a voice is at the level that determines who the voters are for the federation. So if you're unaware of how the structure works, here's how it works. Your local club gets sanctioned by somebody. They get sanctioned by U.S. Youth Soccer through a state association. They get sanctioned by U.S. Club Soccer. Now, U.S. Club Soccer is a private organization. They don't have to answer to anybody. They do their own thing. So if you're a club in U.S. club soccer, you're not going to be, you're, you're not going to have a major voice in their board and who gets to vote. But if you are a club in a state association under U.S. youth soccer, you have a, a, a bigger opportunity to have a voice. Because you can run for president, vice president, etc. of your state association. There are state associations for the 55 territories. Because there's two in California, two in Texas, two in Ohio, two in Pennsylvania, and two in New York. Everyone else has one state association. You can get involved in your state level. And if if you're a club, if you're a member of a club, you go to those state meetings and you vote and you vote in reform-minded people. Those people are the ones who get to vote for change in U.S. soccer elections. There have been great people around this country who have gotten involved at the state level to try to affect change. I've had many of them on this show. Chris Kessel, a a good friend of mine and a friend of the show has taken this personal path himself. 
in West Virginia. He joined the board. He stepped up. He volunteered. He said, I'll help. Let's get this thing going. Let's make it better. Let's fix what we can fix right here. And let's try to affect change at a level where we can affect change. Getting people in the right positions throughout the Federation at the grassroots level is one way that that can begin to change the trajectory of where we are. If you go to a national council meeting, there are a lot of really old white people that make up the large majority of attendees. And I don't mean to be offensive here. I'm just telling you what the facts are when you show up. You show up to any national council meeting. The next AGM is in February in Nashville, Tennessee. Easy place to get to for many people in this country. Show up and watch and you'll see what I'm talking about. What that means is that this next generation of parents of young adults have not gotten involved at the state level. There are people that have been there for 30, 40 years. You want to know why we are where we are? We keep doing the same things over and over. What what Mark Ziegler's talking about in his article is, is that we need change. We need leadership change, but that leadership change isn't just at the top. It's how do you get that leadership change at the top? That leadership change at the top has to come through these types of efforts. We've got to get people like Chris Kessel all over this country. They exist in every state. But we've got to get you involved at a state level. So that when I come to the AGM in February in Nashville to cover the AGM and to to do shows and to talk to people, I'm talking to more and more Chris Kessels around this country. Talking to more and more people that are forward thinking that are willing to think outside of the box that want to bring solutions to the table that are willing to vote for new ideas. It's obvious to anyone looking at the U S soccer federation that things aren't going well mired in lawsuits programs that are stagnating Decisions that are not even attempts to be hidden that are just laced and soaked in favoritism. It's clear to see for anybody that wants to be observant to open their eyes that we have issues at the Federation level. But how do we change that? You got to get people in the grassroots. If you're in a state and you're not involved, you've got to get involved. You got to find a way to get involved. You got to roll up your sleeves and say, enough is enough. I'm going to get involved.
That's the first thing. The second thing, how do we get change? How do we how do we effectively get from where we are to where we want to be? Uh, doing a new federation from scratch is very difficult to get FIFA sanctioned, to get signed off with the US Olympic and Paralympic Committee. It is it is really the the only path for that as I see it and I've talked to a lot of people behind the scenes about this that that have worked in and around the game at the highest levels around the world. And they constantly say that the main way that that could ever happen is a full-out scandal beyond a watch. I mean, we're talking that that the books get opened up and we find just embezzlement everywhere, that people are going to prison or it looks like they may be going to prison. At that point, you know, uh, something that rocked like USA Gymnastics with, um, you know, the, the abuse of, of athletes and things like that, those kind of levels of just absolute awful scenarios are the only ways that a, that, that a new federation could really get traction at that point is to say, look, this organization in its entirety is, is, is not fixable and we need to start over where you, you are literally starting a new organization to replace the old one. That is not likely. That is not where we are, at least at the moment. So where, where do we go for change? We go to our local grassroots. If you are in a club right now and you are not involved, you don't go to state meetings, you don't vote at the state meetings, and you're not trying to get into a state office and you want reform, you want to see ideas like what we talk about on this show and so many others have espoused over the years come to fruition, then you've got to get involved. You've got to get into those meetings. You've got to volunteer your time. You've got to step up, run for office, build relationships with other clubs and say, look, vote for me. I want to help us turn the page, turn the corner, get to a new place. I want to serve you. I want to go to these federation meetings and serve our federation and get things going in the right direction. That's step one. The second piece is we've got to educate those people around us in our communities. We've got to let them know what, what, what it's like. I had a conversation with a group of parents a few weeks ago who were frustrated with some realities on the ground. And some of those were self-inflicted, self-induced mistakes or frustrations brought on by the club itself. But some of these, some of these things are them feeling the, the pains of a dysfunctional system and structure of U.S. soccer. And it was a great teaching point and, and, and educational moment for these families to go, I didn't even know all this existed. Why is it so screwed up? Why, are, why is all this going? I mean, I just want my kid to enjoy his soccer. And I go, exactly. But we're not there. Our system is flawed. So we educate parents. We take opportunities to educate our community to get involved in our community, to volunteer our time and build things 
grow things, grow the sport. Thirdly, we've we've got to create more pressure on the leaders. U.S. Soccer House and the leadership of U.S. Soccer should not be a fun place to be right now. They should feel pressure from the public. If you are a a soccer fan in the Chicago area where U.S. Soccer House is located, we need you to go by and, and, and make your voice is heard to say, look, enough is enough. I'm not advocating for violence. I'm certainly not advocating for any wrongdoing or illegal activity, but they need to know that it's just not okay to do what they're doing. They need to understand that this isn't good. This should not be allowed. They get away with what they get away with at a federation level because they're not challenged and they don't feel threatened. And when you don't have pressure and you don't feel a need or an obligation to fix things because you're getting away with it, why would they change? We have not had a we the people moment. And our country is long overdue for one when it comes to American soccer. A full boycott of Major League Soccer, a full boycott of the United States national teams, men's and women's, at this point looks necessary in order to get a point across. A full-on revolt by not showing up, not paying tickets and walking out. I mean, you don't show up. Empty stadium. Now, if you want to show up to the parking lot and stand outside as a protest, fine. But don't go in the stadium. Make a Taylor Twellman and whoever's in the booth with him or Stu Holden and whoever's in the booth with him Talk the entire time about the fact there's no one in the stadium. That's a two-hour infomercial for U.S. soccer reform. They won't be able to get around it. It will be something that they have to talk about. It will be the story for two hours. They may try to cover the game. They may try to talk about the game, but it will be the thing that overrides everything. At this point, if you're a fan and you want to make a difference, that's the best way to do it. Just don't show up. Temporary, momentary pain for now until Major League Soccer and the Federation understands and makes changes. So fans can make a difference. Coaches, volunteers can make a difference locally and at the state level. 
And then those at the state level can make a difference because they're the ones who actually get to vote in these elections that makes a new path possible for the Federation. Our sponsor this half hour is Charity Water. You can learn more about Charity Water at charitywater.org. They provide clean drinking water to people all over the world, and they are changing lives and changing stories and changing villages every single day. And you can be a part of that story at charitywater.org. We'll be right back after this. No one. No man, no woman, no child should ever have to drink green water with bugs, with algae, with disease in it. Bad water and a lack of toilets kills more people than all the wars in the world. We know how to bring clean drinking water right now to every single person on earth. And when you can bring water into communities, it truly transforms them. It changes everything. Now you could know that you'd made a difference. You could know that you had truly impacted the life of a family, of a community, of a region. There was either clean water or there wasn't. We believe in a world where every single person has clean and safe water to drink, and we will continue fighting until that happens. Into the show on this Monday, January, excuse, January, October the 21st. Hey, hold on now. We're not going that fast. October the 21st, it is, it has been a show where we've been kind of going through uh, Mark Ziegler's column, which is a fantastic column, and, and looking at, you know, how do we affect change in the Federation? There's not enough pressure on the Federation to make changes themselves. One of the things that we've got to do, and it's obvious, that when, when things aren't going well, what the first thing that has to change in any organization when things aren't going well is, is leadership. Now, the preferred path to change in leadership is that the personnel in place get better at being leaders. So they, they learn lessons. That's the first thing you hope, right? So you put someone in charge, maybe they're not doing something great in a certain area, but you try to work with them, you teach them, you encourage them, and you try to get them to a place where they can accelerate and, and improve areas of their leadership and they get better at what they do, how they do what they do. So that's the first thing that you try to accomplish whenever you are in charge and you're looking at your leaders. And, and when that doesn't work, the only other option is a change of personnel. So you change the mindset you change the philosophy, you change the mentality, 
the actions of a leader, if that doesn't work, then you have to change the leader itself, who that leader is, the personnel. I think we're at that place. I think our entire board of directors needs to go. I think that our president and vice president need to go. And I believe that our top levels within the day-to-day operations of U.S. soccer need to go. In total, we're, pro- we're, we're talking about probably 30 people. They need to go. And the main reason why they need to go is it's nothing personal. This isn't a personal vendetta against those in 30 individuals, but it's these 30 people have been at the helm. It's not working. We need to bring in 30 new people. We need new blood. We need a change of leadership. Now, I grew up in the state of Alabama, a place known for college football, primarily for the University of Alabama. Sorry, all of you Auburn fans. And before Nick Saban, there was a guy by the name of Bear Bryant who came home, as he called it, to build the Alabama football program into a legendary powerhouse, won multiple national championships as the head coach of the University of Alabama. But when he retired in the early 80s, Alabama went for a decade without a national championship they thought they would be able to just kind of bring in a new leader and things would go well. And they went through a 10-year period of nothing. And then they brought in Gene Stallings and they won the, the national champ, the 1992 national championship. And people thought, man, everything's going to go great. We're going we're gonna to take off from here. And they were competitive, but he eventually left in the mid-90s and they began that process again, like what they went through in the 80s and they struggled and they struggled, and it got so bad in the, in the 2000s before Nick Saban came to town that they went through an embarrassment of coaches in terms of their performance. They, it was so bad that they had a coach that never coached a game for them that they hired because he got caught in a strip club or a stripper or something. I mean, it was bad. It was a circus show of circus shows. They couldn't even find the right leader to come to town. And they kept trying, they kept trying, they kept trying, and nothing was going right. And then the coach they hired before Nick Saban was Mike Shula. Dad, legendary NFL coach of the Dolphins. Mike Shula played at Alabama. They were hoping to kind of catch lightning in a bottle. Some of their preferred candidates had turned them down. I believe at the time, Nick Saban might have even been one of those candidates that had turned them down. Shula comes to town and it's, everybody's wanting him to do well, but you could just tell this program was just bigger than his capacity to lead. It was not going well. 
eventually they part ways and they bring Nick Saban to town. And if you've paid any attention to the college football since he arrived in Tuscaloosa, you already know what that has meant to the university. Multiple national championships. And the program that every other program measures itself by. Every every program. I don't care if you're the proudest Ohio State fan, Michigan fan, Texas, Notre Dame, Clemson, USC, Florida. It doesn't matter. Georgia, all of you measure yourselves as a program by Nick Saban's tenure at Alabama. But more importantly, what's not talked about is what you're really measuring yourself by is his ability to lead. Now, you can hate the guy. You can not like his antics or his style, and that's fine. But what you cannot dispute is his ability to lead his program. That's what we're lacking in U.S. Soccer House. That's what we're lacking within the board of directors. And it's time for a change. We've tried it. We've tried it their way. We've tried it with this personnel package. And it's not working. Seasons come and seasons go. And this season has since long passed for this current leadership within the U.S. Soccer Federation. And it's just simply time for a new season to begin. We need new blood. In the day-to-day operations, we need new blood within the board of directors. From a U.S. soccer perspective, this should be viewed as a stewardship position. Leadership in its, in its essence, and, and I've talked about this on the show many times, is a stewardship. It is temporary, and we should be accountable. This is a quote from Andy Stanley, and it's so spot on. And when we look at it, especially through the lens of the Federation, they should be servants of the game, stewards of the game. It shouldn't be about personal bank accounts, connections, enriching themselves, or personal power, vendettas, or agendas. It should be about the service of the game. Serving a country. Serving American soccer. We need leaders with that mentality. Leaders willing to set aside selfish gain and ambition for the betterment of the sport. And that's not to say that there are not good people in U.S. Soccer House at the, at the top levels of U.S. Soccer House. And it's not to say that there aren't some good people on the board of directors. This is nothing personal. This is all about actions, choices, 
we are where we are. The legendary coach Bill Parcells talked about this. A famous quote from him is, you are what your record says you are. And our record says that our leadership isn't good enough. That's it. It just means that for whatever reason, this mix of people isn't getting the job done. And we need a new generation of leadership to come in, to take charge, to help this federation grow. Because it should be a federation for all, in service of all, for the betterment of all. If we are truly to make soccer the preeminent sport in this country, we need new leadership at the top to get there. We're not going to get there without it. No way, no how. That is for sure. Thanks for joining the show today. Thanks for watching. As always, I really do appreciate uh, all the feedback and support. We've got a long way to go, but we can get there together. We need to empower the media that cover this sport to have the confidence to do the job because they know that there's a multitude of of followers out there who have their back that want the truth and are willing to stand behind them so that we get more pieces like this Mark Ziegler piece calling for new leadership within the Federation thanks for watching the show as always you can watch on facebook.com forward slash WRKMN or at danielworkman.com follow me on Twitter or Instagram at danielworkman thanks for watching. We'll see you again tomorrow.